0: who put Clanfer PG on the map for Wales. He's flirted with the wrestler Adrian Street and he'll make a song about anything. From Wirral, Merseyside, UK meet and greet Don Woods. A very good day to everybody. It's Monday the 7th of March 2022 It's a foul day here on the Costa Blanca. We get this every now and again. Um, People forget that we grow rice in uh, Valencia. And so I suppose every now and again, you're going to get the likes of a monsoon, which is what we've got this morning. It's throwing it down. It's been booking it down most of the night and the last couple of days and probably a couple of days ahead. So that's our situation. I look out onto a mountain from where I work. The mountain is not in sight, totally and utterly clouded uh, by the uh, sort of, it's like mist as much as cloud, but whichever way, I'm sure it's like music to Don's ears as he sees this kind of thing virtually every time he looks through his window or opens his door. Um, In the plane, we're about two hours, maybe two and a half hours away from Wirral Merseyside uh, where... Don will be sitting there, as smug as you like, smiling to himself because he knows full well this is unusual
1: weather for me. Good morning to you, Don. What's your weather like? Good morning, Vince. I'm really, really sorry that it's raining there. And I, re- I really feel sorry for you because the sun isn't shining and you're cold. I really mean that. and I'm o- I mean, I'm all sincerely, I really do. <laughs> no, it's all right. I've been all right here. To be honest with you, it's warm. When the sun, the sun is warm, but the wind is cold. So if you can get out the wind, you know I can sit in my conservatory, open the door, and sunbathe. At the moment, it's nice, but the wind's cold. And if you go walking on, on the uh, promenades here, we have several. Um, it's cold, you know, really bitterly cold. Really, the wind. But otherwise, it's 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 it's, it's a we expected at, at this time. Yeah. You know, it's getting better. The nights are getting lighter, and everything's. Hunky Dory at the moment, so you know. Well,
0: obviously, in your voice, the sincerity is a (laughs) hundred percent. (laughs) On the screen is zero points whatsoever. Um, So we'll dismiss that. Actually, uh, as I was saying this, we're we're smiling and obviously having a bit of banter. Um, But it is, of course, rotten where people are suffering in Ukraine. And, um, you know, we don't want to sort of uh, make this another Ukraine podcast. But I don't think anybody in the world at the moment can uh, feel anything but compassion to the millions of people who are being uh, disrupted at the moment. And uh, I just hope some sense of normality uh, will return at some point as soon as possible. And I'm sure you must feel the same, Don. Yeah,
1: I just don't get it. It's hard to believe. I mean, normally you have a war and there's a reason perhaps I can't see any reason for this it's just it's just beyond me how anybody can be so cruel is beyond me I don't understand it really and it's it's blanket news here all the time and you know you, you just feel so sorry for people it shouldn't you know it's not human, is it no you know I, I, we I wasn't there in oh, no were you in the last war with that stupid idiot Hitler. But, you know, this fella, I don't get it at all. And they had um, the uh, Ukrainian president on this morning, and he was a film star and a comedian.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's it,
1: right. Do you know? Yeah. yeah. And what a great bloke. You know, what a great fella. And you think, oh, dear me. I don't know. It's just it, – it doesn't really – there's nothing you can say really it's just terrible you know and it's it just hope it's it sorts itself out but I can't see the point of it you know why do people have to kill other people it's it's, it's so wrong you know do we but often they... um,
0: we often talk about things and we always get near to uh, conspiracy theories and anything else that I try to explain in a r- rational way um but the the point is it's really people who have a a vision of what life should be like for everybody. And uh, these are people who crave power and who are obviously driven by some force. We try to work through the force of good and there is a force of evil and, you know, without sort of deepening it too much this morning Um, I think that's as far as I think we can take this one because otherwise we have to look at the history and the cultural differences uh, and and the reasons why a man should want to destroy everybody else that exists in the world at the moment I I really don't understand it um, in a very very brief way but I do understand a lot of it from what I'm reading so Um, the only thing I think we should say is our thoughts and prayers are with everybody that's suffering and um, try and make this a little lighter for people who maybe uh, will be spending time looking at what's going on and need a bit of lighter relief so what we do this morning then we start looking at um, there's a a guy that's just died called Shane Warne
1: who you're going to tell us about, uh, Australian He he was an Australian, well, he, he was an Australian cricketer and a great cricketer, world class, best in the world actually at one stage and he played for Australia and um, he, he was a great bloke, a great character and, and he, he sadly died, he, he was on holiday with his, he was, one, he was a bit of a Jack the Lad, you know, he was a bit of a boozer, I think, a bit of a good time boy and he, he's been on holiday with his pals somewhere in Bangkok or somewhere, and that's where he died of a heart attack. Only young, his late 40s, early 50s, I think. But what an f- incredible fella. Now, to, to me, uh, I I watched him play when cricket was good and interesting and had characters before it totally lost its way, as it has now. Um, and I remember he was bowling, and the wicketkeeper, the Australian, we're playing England. The Australian wicketkeeper was talking to him across the field saying, you've got him now. You've got him now, Sean. He's look, he's shaking. His knees are shaking, Sean. <laughs> and this fellow's trying to bat. And he said, oh, you, that was a little bit more to the right, Sean. Spin it to the right and you'll have him out because he doesn't know what he's doing. And, that, and it was great. You know, it was funny and, and cricket. But cricket's had it now. It's just dreadful. But you need characters like that. Because I, I was well into cricket when I was younger. I played for the uh, teams both in the primary and, and senior school. I was captain of the team in the senior school. I was a bowler. And um, I used to love my cricket. And when I was about uh, oh, what, 9 or 10 or 11 or whatever, I, my dad took me to see uh, England play Australia again in, um, old, at Old Trafford in Manchester. And uh, of course, all my heroes were there playing, and it was when Jim Laker took nineteen wickets in Oof. one test. It was a spin bowler. Do you remember that, Jim, Jim Laker. Laker
0: and Tony Lock? Yes, I do remember Tony them.
1: Locke. That's right. Mm. And uh, Tony Lock got the other, the only other wicket. <laughs> and I saw one of the wickets. Uh, you know, I actually saw one when when, when Tony Lock caught it. And uh, of course, we we settled down to watch the match. And we watched it for about half an hour. And then it rained, rained off, and that was it. So we only saw half an hour. But it, it was fantastic, you know. It was those days. But now, cricket, it's just it's just had it, hasn't it? It's There's no characters. You get the sort of captain with his, they have those big hats on now, and he's sitting, standing there in the, out, in the outfield with his hand on his chin, you know, as if he's really thinking about the game. It's rubbish. No, one needs living and up needs characters again, well, like it, like Shane Warne. A sad loss. You well, know, well, because... it is. It is very very interesting
0: because, as we talk and we're remembering things, certain things leap into my mind. Now, I wasn't the greatest cricket fan, but I could play cricket. Um, I was a good slogger. You know, I'd get a, about say ten or twelve runs, and then I'd be out to a a massive catch on the boundary. Um, But I was quite a good fast bowler and not a bad fielder. And uh, basically, I can remember I aged about 10. I remember a Christmas present, which was like a box. On the left-hand side, there was a a knob that you span, and it gave you a bowler and the type of ball he uh, uh, bowled. And then you span the right-hand side, and that was the batsman's side. And you got either a score, LBW leg before wicket, or out court or something like that you see and this was fascinating you know at the backdrop to the whole box was um, I think it was Lords or one of these great venues now you know I like to look at the good things and remember there are some things that I've tried to say look Don keep this at the back of your mind because this justifies why there's a, a conspiracy whether it's mine or somebody else's I don't know if you remember about um, six months ago when all the um, COVID stuff, the lockdown, everything was really quite depressing. Halfway through that, we had an assault on Yorkshire and Yorkshire Cricket Club. I don't know if you remember this.
1: Yes, yes, I remember it.
0: And you see, I've been banging on whenever you know it's appropriate um, to people to just keep in mind what really is happening there's been an assault on our way of life and in a general sense nothing has been combative uh, until we've got this horrible war in Ukraine until then it's all been little bits of British way of life or other ways for other people but you know we, we, we were looking at Britain and, you know, Yorkshire and Yorkshire cricket is a bastion of British ways of life. There, there are many, many things I don't totally get into, but one thing I can understand is somebody who loves cricket. And, you know, for me to actually go and spend a full day watching a cricket match is a total waste of time. For me to watch the highlights on the TV, I do like that. And the minute you mentioned Jim Laker and uh, then my memory builds in Tony Locke, Cyril w- Washbrook, and all these other Ken Barrington, great names from the past, um, it, it it does promote the thought of what sport role plays in society. And as I was saying, people are trying to undermine, so where do they go? They go to what people enjoy. They change what is something that you like to something which eventually you couldn't care less about. And think back to the way that we began this conversation and the enthusiasm that you had for this guy, Shane Warne. I mean, these were characters. They were they were, they were guys that
1: dedicated their life to their sport, didn't they? Yeah. Well, the fella you're talking about, the Yorkshire bloke, it was racist, you know. I mean, we get racist all the time. Uh, I, I, it just goes over my head racist I'm not interested I'm not racist And I'm not interested in anyone who is I couldn't care less And the fella who complained He's getting skittied at or something By the Yorkshire team You know they went back didn't they 10 years And he was racist himself Calling someone names You know I, I, it's just It's just childish really I don't think it brings the game into disrepute What what, what spoils the game of cricket Is there's no characters And they lose You know, they they play Australia and get hammered. You know, we want to win. I'm a sportsman. I've been a sportsman all my life. And I just like winning. That's what sport's about. You know, it's not about taking part and all this. You don't come second. You win or lose. In my book, you know, and when I was captain of the school cricket team, uh, before that in the Colts, I got six wickets for one run. Six for one. That was my best average against the oldest year school. But when I became captain of the school team, we never won a game. You know, because no one, we didn't play good all the time. It'd be one fellow to play well and rubbish the next week. But I don't think uh, I don't think there's any conspiracy theories in cricket. I just think it needs. No, no, boosting. not
0: not not in cricket itself.
1: You know, because- <laughs> It's no. not a popular game, cricket. It's not nobody particularly likes it. It's it's well, not like football where everyone's into football. Don, Don I you don't know.
0: think you can say that because if you when we get to the summer, you will find that all the major test grounds, all the major cricket grounds, will be full of people who love to go and see cricket. So I don't think you can say that people don't like it. I just think it's not maybe as widely liked as football, because obviously it's not played in every country. I'm going to go back to my childhood when I was about six or seven, maybe maybe about 10, actually. And uh, um, my mum was answering a call at the front door and the family used to laugh about this um, when we used to get together because um, I had invited a cricket team to come and play my cricket team. And so... A team had come down on the bus, all in their white gear, (laughs) knocking on our front door, which was a little downtown house in Tranmere, Birkenhead. And, of course, I didn't have a cricket team. And for some reason, these people had believed me that I'd got a cricket team. And, um, you know, whether whether or not they expected us all to walk up to Mersey Park, which is where I went to play football... God knows what I told these people, but they honestly thought that there was a cricket game going on. So uh, that was a sort of um, something that my family never let me forget. Um, the only other big memory from cricket was playing for Radio Merseyside cricket team. And I got no idea who we played against. We were at the Oval in Port Sunlight. Um, I was uh, waiting to go in a Bat. I went in. I scored a six. I scored a four. I scored uh, three other runs, and then I was caught on the boundary, and that was it. Um, you know, that was cricket for me. You just went. or oh, t- you know, I didn't mind doing tip it and run, but uh, you know, I, I could. I didn't have the patience to stand. And the other thing, of course, I didn't have. Um, family didn't have enough money to buy proper cricket shoes. If you remember, you had to have the yeah. spike shoes, yeah, shoes,
1: and you yeah. were supposed to have
0: <laughs> the white flannels and everything. So, yeah, dif- different. It's a different game.
1: Well, when when I went to the junior school, which was Church Street School in Wallasey, um, we ha- we used to put wickets out like uh, in the playground, like on a block. These wickets on a block, and all the lads at, at bowl. We had some really good. We won the. The, what was called the Swanwick Cup, three years on the road. We had a great cricket team. It was a real good in school. And one of the funny stories is one of the teachers who took us for cricket, uh, a young fella, Mr. Wilson his name was, and he really fancied himself, you know. And we, we had this young lady. Um, it was a boys' school I went to, the the, the juniors junior school in Church Street, and we had this young lady teacher started, and she's very attractive, As I remember, you know, even then when I was young, she was nice, and he comes out, and we're all batting, we'd bat, and everyone would line up and bowl, and when he was out, the next fella would go in, he comes over, she's, he brings her out onto the playground, he comes. he comes to the wicket, snatches the bat off this lad to show us how it's done. Felt one of the lads bowled. He slugs the ball right through the school window. It was great. <laughs> it was just wonderful. The whole window went, and he, he, his face was a delight. You know, trying to show up in front of this young girl. Great. So they're they're great moments in cricket for me. Don, did I hear you say you went to an old boys primary school? No, it was a primary. The infant, it was a mixed school, but they were separated with the boys with the top end of the school, girls with the bottom end. In the infants, it was mixed, okay. Be, but it, because
0: I, I know as a primary school, ours was mixed, and you know, uh, it was probably a lot healthier that you, you know, you were uh, socializing and mixing, um, with both sectors because you grow up and you get
1: absolutely to... well. The, the the senior school I went to, and I, I got the g uh, the the at 11 plus i went to uh, the tech in wallasey the and that was boys only so, you know, really we were starved of girls. Well, that was the
0: same for me. Yeah, I went to St. Anselm's and, of course, we didn't, uh, be, between the ages of 11 and 16, that was it. I mean, you, you saw these things going by who uh, wore different clothes and um, went in a different direction. Yeah. But, uh, no, it's interesting that because I think that's, uh, again, it's, it's a rather strange thing that a child is with uh, the other sex and, you know, mixing and playing and everything up to the age of 11. And then from 11 to 16, you you become secular, you know, and it, it's a rather strange thing when you think about it. Um, well, you go
1: to places where the girls, aren't we used to go out clubbing it from 13 or 14 onwards. You know, we go to these youth clubs and everything. You weren't sort of... Starved with girls, you know. Well, I, just
0: the- I, I, I didn't. You, you know, my my parents didn't let me go out to to, to places like that Un- until I got to about the age of uh, fifteen or sixteen. Uh, certainly 16, when I started working, th- then obviously I started making my own decisions. But up till then, no, I, um, I'm afraid that was not part of my uh, social uh, background. So it does show that certainly uh, if you're growing up differently, you'll have different ideas. Mind you, I did have uh, sisters in the house. I, I had two sisters um till I was 12 and then no 15 was when my my third sister came along and um 16 I think when my fourth sister came along so you know that's another thing which is quite interesting because you know don't expect girls to be queuing up to play um um cricket with you we did play cricket in the street so you know we actually had uh we had the facility because we were a, a play street to play football and cricket in the street, which of course kids can't really do these days.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know. as so I was, I had great mates all all through my life. Really, I've I've mixed with people similar to myself. You know, with a bit of bit of personality, if you like. I I, I like a good laugh. And when I got older, I liked a few drinks with the lads. You know. and... I always join the rugby club, you know, yeah I always mix with those sort of people, some people don't, you know, yeah, but uh yeah. I'm going to to say I say, said could you know some people everyone's different, some people might like me, some don't, and I couldn't care less either way, to be honest, but okay. there you go
0: well, don't don't press me on my answer, let me go to. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Done. we've talked about one great cricketing character so there's one great sportsman and uh, for the next thing you were going to talk about, uh, we watched a programme on Roger Bannister
1: Yeah, yeah Sir Roger Bannister, I remember this really well, I think it was about 1953 wasn't it, 52 yep. or something 53. and he ran, the, he ran the first just under four minute mile and when you think about it you know to run a four-minute mile. You've got to run a 15 miles an hour for a mile. You know, four laps of a track. It's a, it's, it's an amazing, isn't it, when you think about it. And I, when I was in school, I, I was into athletics as well. I remember running one lap of the track, which was uh, the uh, 440, wasn't it? And 440 yards, and I did it in a minute. That was my time, but I was flat out. I couldn't have run any faster or gone any further. And when you think you have to do four of them to do a four-minute mile, it, it it people think, "Oh, yeah, he's done a four-minute mile." You don't realize how good that is, you know. And and he collapsed at the end. And then all the lads, when we when we were in school, you know, they they'd finish the mile and all collapse, you know, copying Roger Bannister, <laughs> you know. But also. I watched the other night, which brought, which was on the same program. I think Kelly Holmes, Dame Kelly Holmes. Yeah. She she ran. She won two gold medals in the four hundred meters and the and the eight hundred meters. I think a few years back, a few few a few um, Olympic games back. The four hundred meters she ran, I can honestly say, was the best race I've ever seen, ever, out of all of them. And I was out of the chair. It, she was fantastic. And she won it by literally a, a nose. And she was on talking. And I thought, what a wonderful. And she's lovely now, a lovely mm-hmm. girl. And she, she was saying she was in the army and drove tanks. Yeah. (laughs) So you've got to admire this girl, you know. Oh, I thought. She's a dame. Well, she deserves to be a dame. She deserves to be knighted, Mm because knights are soldiers as far as I'm concerned. And, uh, you know, but she was great. But I remember that race, and if I ever met her, I'd tell her that was the best race I've ever seen. It was right to the the end. Yes, I I remember. But look
0: like like yourself you see i i was oh, i loved athletics um, uh, Roger Bannister, by the way, was the 6th of May, 1954 at Oxford. Um, 54, yeah. Yeah, it's only that yeah. I've got the, the details up on the screen. And, uh, basically he, it was three minutes, 59.4 seconds. I mean, yeah. that's how uh, close yeah. it was. But I do remember <laughs> it because, um, uh, like we didn't run, uh, in the primary school, but when we went to the secondary school, now I did mention not being able to play cricket properly because I didn't have uh, spikes. I had the same problem with running uh, shoes because I was very quick round the track uh, as a 440 runner. I, w- I was a good 440 runner. And uh, basically, I got um, selected to go to the, um, I think it'd be the Birkenhead or the Whittle Trials at the the Oval in Port Sunlight. And, uh, of course, all these other guys that turned up, I think most of them would have had spikes, and I didn't. Um, At that point in my life, I I didn't even think about there was an advantage for somebody that had spikes. I mean, it would have probably felt like there was a disadvantage. And it's funny, again, how your mind remembers things, because I remember there was, in the school, there was a guy called Hazelwood um, who was about, he must have been six foot two-ish. And of course, I'm in those days, I'd be about five foot nine. And so to get round the one lap of the track and almost beat him would, uh, would have been a huge sort of feeling of satisfaction. But um, again, you see, things like your background, where you come from, what your experiences are, who you meet, all these things that go to make people uh, become what they are You know, sometimes if you don't get the right things at the right times, you'll never succeed in that particular um, part of your life. Uh, You know, you, you, you can repeat what I'm saying by millions of people around the world, of course. So there is a mix that comes just right for somebody in their lives at a certain time. And I know I used to love the athletics in the school. We had what was called a standards badge. So we had all the... Every single event had a standard for your age, and if you got the standard number of standards, you would get a standards badge. And there were only two events I couldn't get. One was the hammer, which nobody ever taught me how to throw it, so is it any wonder? And the other one one was the pole vault, which again, unless people actually spend time learning how to do it then the only people that could do the pole vault we only had two in in ours there was uh, tony cross and tony pusty <laughs> and they were uh, doing this since about the age of seven because in the primary part of the secondary school there was a paid version so all very interesting stuff all very very good memories and um you know, interesting to think back uh, to that part of your life. But- well,
1: I lived in Egremont uh, in Wallasey, which is on the banks of the river. Yeah. And in on, down the road, we had a fellow called Carl G, who was um, an international discus thrower. He's he older than me. And, he, and he, he, I used to throw the discus, and he took me under his wing and took me to his club and taught me to throw the discus, which uh, I won the interschools only because of him, the interschools. And further down the road, about another 50 yards further on in the shop, we had a fella called uh, David Stroud, who was Mr. Universe. I'm like, this is on the same street with all these blokes. And uh, another fella, another TT rider just round the corner. Uh, you know, it was it was sort of famous. And, and Joe Mercer, do you remember Joe Mercer, the footballer? For, yeah, the Joe Mercer. I met,
0: I met, I met him. I, I played in a, a football match when Joe Mercer managed a German team from West Hoofland, and our manager was Bill Shankley. And it was a testimonial for uh, Dixie Dean when Dixie Dean died at the, do- oh, right, the Dockers yeah. Club
1: in Liverpool. Well, he had a butchers, Joe Mercer, just down further down the road again. We had, all, we had this road in Egremont with all, all these people. Like we were, but, you know, it was handy for sport because Carl G, uh, he, he was great. He, and he, he, A lovely guy as well. He had a tobacconist, his dad, and he took me to uh, his athletics club and taught me how to throw the discus. And I won the, disc, I won the inter-schools disc because of him, you know. Wasn't it? I wasn't any better than anyone else. But as I say, it's who you know, you see. Exactly. But you've got to make yourself known. You've got to get yourself out there. People don't, you know. And I always tell youngsters, it's who you know. In fact, I was telling a guy in our tennis centre yesterday, I go to the gym there, and I said, if Andy Murray walks in, get in his face, say you make him a cup of tea, and, and down the road you might meet him again, and he'll remember you, you know. I said, that's how you, that's what I've done. You know, get to know people. But well, you had and, fresh and,
0: air, don't forget. You you were breathing fresh sea air from from the Mersey, and uh, we were down in the centre of Tranmere, and uh, all we would have got was fog. <laughs> <laughs> Who's he? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Anyway, great memories, Roger Bannister, Sir yeah, Roger it, Bannister, it, of course, and yeah, um, yeah, and yeah, Chris Chatterway, great, great what, guys. Uh, okay, now tell us about this new program you've got.
1: Yeah, Rock Till We Drop it's called and it's um I didn't know much about him My mate told me about it. Uh it's it's about there's, there's uh, what's his name the guy um Kemp is it Martin Kemp uh, the Martin fellow out, of, out of the group Martin but, and Ross was it the, the two brothers oh, No Martin Kemp he was in a what was that group called? Mm, i eighties group, isn't it? Yeah. M anyway. Yeah. And, and it is, uh, this other girl, a girl singer, and they're looking to form a group of oldies from 65 to 85 year olds who have been, you know, rock and rollers in their day. And they're, they're putting these on the stage and, 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 you know, testing them out and, uh, and seeing and and in order to form this group I think it's been done in the past but this is this is the results I think it was done during COVID so they, they haven't put it out but they're putting it out now but the interesting part in it is one of the drummers in it they got all these drummers and guitarists and singers and and what have you, and they're auditioning them to see who's going to make it to the group. One of the drummers is a fellow called Artie Davis, who's in ah, the Mersey Cats and, yeah. and the Cheshire Cats, which we play for, you know. And he's in a wheelchair, this guy, and and he, and he's a good drummer, and he's in it. And uh, I don't know how he's going to get on, because I've only seen the first one. But um, it, he's an interesting guy, this. Again, I, I interviewed him once when I was on the radio, Artie, and he played uh, wheelchair basketball for England. Wow. Now, you'd wow. never know, you'd never know, you know, looking at him. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm watching him on this programme. And I hope he gets, I hope he does well, you know, it's good. But there's, there's a part of it. Uh, where they're looking, at they show you future programs, and this is what's coming up. And Artie's playing his drums and just chucks his sticks over his shoulder, so obviously someone's upset him. <laughs> so that'll be worth it. Do you get it over there? Rock, rock till we drop. It's code. I've not seen uh, that. I'll, I'll have a look for it because. Uh, good,
0: yeah. Yeah. What was the group that Artie played in?
1: Uh, oh, he played in a few. I don't think he. I don't remember him to be honest, from back in the sixties. But I know he's played. Uh, he plays for Mersey Cats and and see. Uh, for anyone that doesn't know, I, I play every Wednesday night in the what we call the Cheshire Cats, and um, and we have there's the Cheshire Cats and the Mersey Cats, which are two fundraising um, nights for raising money for. Sick kids and children, and, and, and whatever children's charities we raise money for that. I've done it for years, and all the old musos line up and uh, they, they turn up. You know, we, we jam with each other, done it for years and years, mm-hmm. and it keeps my hand in, I suppose. And I don't know why I don't bother anymore, but you know, it's uh, that that's what I do, and that's what Artie does. He, he does it over in Liverpool at the, the Mersey Cats. And <laughs> but you know, when you think about it. I remember interviewing him when he told me. I said, you played for England? Yeah, yeah, he said, played for England. He's a nice fella, actually. But uh, I, don't know, <laughs> I don't know I don't know. why he threw sticks over his shoulder. That should be worth watching. But look out for it. Rock Till We Drop, it's called. I will and do. It's on, it's on BBC iPlayer, if you mm-hmm. can get that.
0: Um, and um,
1: um, and the first, you've had the first episode. And, and as I say, I think there's four episodes in all. And it was it, it's the final the final group chosen plays at uh, some big stadium, so it, it'll be good. What what was the name of that group? That fellow Martin Kemp. There, there were twins uh, when
0: not that uh, they had a hit gold. I'm just trying to remember. Yeah,
1: gold. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, gold. Spando Spando
0: Valley. That's yeah, it. That'll
1: yeah. that drive me mad all day. There. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was it. Yeah. S- so. Look out for that. It's. Uh, I recommend it. You know, all these old guys. I will. I will look out for that. And
0: as you're talking again, you see prompting memories and things. With us going on travels and going to live in Cornwall and travelling and being in Spain. Now, we we do and we have met. Uh, I have met many different types of musicians. And what's interesting is obviously uh, these days I go more to, uh, when I can, go to a jam and you see people turn up who basically, um, you know, sometimes there's always just one that stands out as being rather special. Now, it can be a drummer. It can be an accordion player. It can be a singer. It can be a guitarist. It can be anything. But the point is they're coming from all different parts of the world um you, you know we get some German people we get some uh Russia remember playing with the Russian League guitarist who was absolutely brilliant um uh, a guy turned up who played the accordion and just astonished everybody he was that good but I do remember one particular day and this guy um was with he was from um Mark Peters and the Silhouettes. Oh, I remember him, yeah, yeah. Right, okay. So I I worked on the radio with his son. And so um, basically, I don't think he realised that, you know, what I was saying was my own life and my own experience. I think sometimes some people think they're the only people with experience. You get this in a lot of circumstances. But in actual fact, um, it was definitely a very, very well uh, respected musician because I had heard of the group and when he heard me talk about all the other people that I've known and either played with or met uh, from my radio work, I think he was quite surprised. Going just a few months after the first meeting, I was in a situation where this guy who was a sort of, he looked like he could have been Chinese in origin and uh, he was a, a very good guitarist from this particular area. And we, we turned up at a radio station where I was working and he brought his dad in. And as, his, as they were talking about certain things, I suddenly realised who he was. There was a little group that used to go to the Kral in New Brighton. And, you know, I used to love going to watch the groups in the Kral, which is where I used to see people like the Pathfinders and the Mersey Beats, the Mojos, all these other groups that I'd also see when I went to the Cavern and the Iron Door and these other beat groups that I used to go to. But this guy was absolutely astonished that I should have seen his dad playing. And I think he was quite a little bit put out by the fact that I was really, um, I won't say I was in awe of his dad, but I was making sure that other people in our conversation realised that we were talking about a guy that really could play a great guitar. Um, I, can't, I, think it, I think the band was actually the chords, That the, the band I'm remembering, because they had... Yeah, I mean, they, remember them, yeah. yeah the, I mean, yeah. there were some fantastic groups that turned up at the crawl, and you don't really hear much about that particular venue in the Mersey Beat story, do you?
1: No, no. The Crawl was the the, uh, Wirral's answer to the cavern, really. It was very similar. You used to go in and go down the stairs into this cellar, and the bands used to play in a hole in the wall, a great big hole in the wall, (laughs) where all the bricks had been knocked down. If there'd ever been a fire there everybody would have had it. There's only one way in and one way out. That was the thing I always thought, you know, I, even then I thought it's an accident waiting to happen, you know. But uh, it didn't, so fortunately. But as I say, the Pressmen used to play there. They, they were the regular band uh, who I knew well. It was Richie Prescott was my mate, and I knew them all, all the groups. And the Pathfinders, as you mentioned, the drummer plays with me. On a Wednesday night at the Cheshire Cats. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I used to I used to love
0: uh, in particular from from memory, Derry Wilkie as a lead guitarist was great. Uh, another guy you might have heard of, I think he's died now, Steve Day and
1: the Drifters. Oh Stevie, Day, yeah uh, Rod Pont, his name was mm-hmm. yes yeah, they he he, he I, I played with him loads of times I backed him he used to he used to come down to the the chess cats or Mersey cats yeah and uh, he lived opposite my cousin in, in Morton yeah Steve yeah and a then nice the- guy lovely fella and he died young he went to he lived in Spain actually he moved to Spain wow and died died when he was over there yeah then- yeah I knew them all you know it was see the, the thing is you've got that in common, you know, they're, they're great blokes now even, you know, but the only trouble is now you get a lot of fellas who weren't there who think they were, you know, and well, there's a bit of egos and things, which is very sad, you know, because, you know it's over. You know when you're in your seventies, you know you're not going to get the birds running after you, which is one <laughs> of the reasons you did it originally. But they still think they do, you know. And you get these guys who they get up on the guitar and they're making it look hard, making it look difficult, you know, strumming away. I had, but, uh, a, I, I had a very,
0: it. I had a very strange misrecollection. There was um, uh, the Undertakers and uh, Saxophone Jones who. Over the years, I've got to know a lot better. Um, for example, he played at the um, r- at the Tramirover Social Club when we were doing the radio stuff. And he, as we finished the game, we'd have the concert. And, you know, to actually have him back in uh, as part of these wonderful musicians that were backing us and giving us the chance to really uh, sing well, I mean, it was just fantastic. But... For some reason, I always thought that The Undertakers started with a coffin on stage. And um, I always, either I've got completely mystified by seeing somebody else doing it, but I thought they used to have him in the coffin and then he'd spring out and start playing his saxophone. Um,
1: yeah, he did. I, knew, I know Jonesy well. In fact, two of The Undertakers went to my school. One was in my class, um, uh Bugs Pemberton, the drummer, he was in my class, and Jackie Lomax uh, went to our school. But Jonesy, uh, played with them loads of times. That's what they, they, they used to drive around to gigs in a big hearse. Yeah. Uh, what happened to them? People found it uh, a bit tasteless, so they changed their name to The Takers. That's <laughs> which, right. Uh, which didn't really work. But, uh, yeah, and Jeff Nugent, he died, Jeff Nugent. The fact... So did Jackie Lomax there's, mm. uh, there's very, uh, and Bugs Bender, hardly any of them left. But Brian Jones is still going strong. He, he's uh, Well, I speak he, to him
0: he, on, on Facebook in a roundabout sort of way, and I've done a couple of interviews with him. But yeah, funny, I, funny, I, try, funny. I try to explain to him something that, uh, you know, you never know just how far your influence reaches. Now, I was down in Cornwall and... Uh, I wanted to get on Radio Cornwall just as it began. Um, the, the BBC hadn't had a radio station in Cornwall. So me, naively thinking that the playing field would be nice and even, I thought, well, I'll go in and introduce myself. Uh, little did I know that they were operating a Cornwall for the Cornish policy and yeah. um, and there was no way that anybody was going to get in who wasn't um, to do with Cornwall. Anyway, as it so happened... I met a guy called Freddie uh, S- Freddie Stribley, and he um, wanted to be a DJ because he used to come to my gigs. And eventually, we got to be very, very good friends. And I suggested to him that he gets a, 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 a gimmick, and the gimmick I suggested to him was to get a hearse and c- carry his gig round, uh, all the gear round to his gigs in the hearse. So we got the hearse. Um, He painted the Union Jack on the top of the hearse and used to drive around Cornwall, became very well known, as you can well imagine, for doing this. Then it it came to the general election. And uh, I was working at the college by this time and he used to come in and I used to ask him to give out the prizes to um, some of our YTS students. And uh, anyway, uh, he, s- he said to me, um, w- "Would would I consider becoming a monster raving loony party candidate?" <laughs> and I said, "Well, you know, quite honestly, it was five hundred pound to 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 do that, and I we just didn't have that sort of money. So I I agreed to become his election agent. So Freddie became the uh, uh, he became the candidate for the monster raving loonies." I became his um, his election agent, and I got quite a lot of publicity just just by being in these places. For example, when Sebastian Coe was elected MP for the first time, it was down at Redruth, and on the stage at the um, the, uh, the the sports centre, being introduced to the to the public and all the numbers being given out. I'm standing next to um, Sebastian Coe. So, if ever you see a program which is called Sports Trait, uh, and it's like a play on words, but it's a portrait uh, portrait on sports people. Uh, there's Sebastian Coe, and
1: standing next, alongside him is Rockin' Rupert, who, of course, yeah, I remember you telling me that. You told me that years ago, and he wasn't a very nice fellow, was he? I always Both. thought he's a bit of a plunker, yeah. Sebastian Coe. You know, a, a great, a great athlete, but I always think he didn't come over as a as a as a decent guy. I think you told me that, didn't you? you well, said he wasn't. Well, really put it nice. this way,
0: he was very, very uh, aloof. And of course, yeah. it's funny because yeah. the link, as he immediately said, I should have turned around and said to him, "Well, listen, the only reason why you got all the world championships and I didn't was you." You managed to get your parents to get you a pair of spikes. My parents couldn't <laughs> afford any. <laughs> uh, but isn't it so, isn't it amazing, the little sort of twists
1: and turns yeah, of fate?
0: Yeah.
1: Well, of course, Brian Saxe-Jones played in the Glitter Band. Exactly, for yeah, yeah. 13 years or so. And I saw him many times because he was uh, managed by Angie McCartney, oh, Paul McCartney's my. stepmother and Ruth, uh, as... And she was my publisher at the time. She was local, actually. And I used to go and watch uh, the Glitter Band. And Gary Glitter, before his demise, was fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what a performer. I went to see him on The Empire. And it was just great. You know, a, a, great, a great personality and fantastic to watch. And, and the stuff he did was great. I liked it very much. It's just a shame he, he lost his way. But um I went to see the man Manchester, uh, Re- Manchester University and it was so loud th- he'd, he'd got the the original glitter band back together and Jonesy was still in it with him mm. but it was so loud it was ridiculous you know well now great but, uh,
0: great link coming up because we do do have we do have some wonderful links over the times we've been talking and the link is that um my friend that I was the election agent for Freddie's app. He actually put together a tribute to Gary Glitter and he paid a lot of money out to get really, really good tracks. And so much so that, I mean, he did put together a really good road show uh, as a tribute, one of the earliest tribute shows to Gary Glitter. And, of course, uh, when the Gary Glitter thing happened, he lost that overnight. He couldn't go out and do Gary Glitter. Yeah so yeah. let's go to your next uh, topic which is basically the program of upcoming acts on uh, and we're going to talk about the local theatre the
1: Floral Pavilion. Yeah Floral Pavilion yeah they've all done there it's uh, the Floral we've all played there over the years but uh, they send me this booklet um, every so often for the acts coming up and there's an awful lot of tribute bands. Uh personally I don't like them I, I'm not into tribute bands at all to me you know the work's already done isn't it the, the the bands have written the songs or recorded the songs the the hard work's been done it's easy to copy you know but they're very popular you know I, I, I don't I don't say you see I don't mind um tribute I don't mind people playing uh, like the Eagles stuff I don't mind that but don't think they're the Eagles it's like the Elvis tributes They think they're Elvis you know don't dress like Elvis sing the songs by all means but don't start thinking you're Elvis you know even when they come off the stage I'm going, know, to, I'm going to give Elvis. you I'm going to give you another thought
0: provoking uh, minute yeah, here <laughs> well when you take for example my friend Paul Melba and other great impressionists yeah. They actually try to impersonate and they get a huge round of applause for the accuracy of the impression they make. And so, you know, like many people, I've marveled at some of the impressions they come out with. Now, isn't it even more of a tribute when you think about it to actually play an instrument and put together a, a whole tribute to another person or another act? I mean, that is taking, um, you know, an impression and adding skills to it that don't exist, maybe, with the impressionist. Now, that is another way of looking at it, Don.
1: Really? I'm a great admirer of impressionists, and I was of Paul Melba. I like like people that do impressions, especially if they're good. That makes me laugh, makes me really laugh. But, you know, a tribute band... You got, I went to watch the illegal eagles, they were called, and the music was good, but this didn't seem any point. You know, I you might as well watch a, a DVD of the eagles. It's only, it's only my opinion, you know, I don't, I, I'm not into tribute bands. See, the were to me the the, the the band they're doing a tribute to have done all the work, you know, the work's been done, all they're doing is capitalizing on that work, you know. Mm-hmm. I you know, if if they're then yeah, well, that's only my, very interesting The other thing I can't stand is is bands who who call themselves like the Hollies and there's there's one member, one original member. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's to call yourself something else, Hollies Part Two or something. <laughs> you know, they're going out as the band and there's only one original member. You know well we've had them we've
0: had them over here in Benidorm, and you know they've come on the radio show and uh, the more that you actually pursue the interview, the more you realise, and they will tell you, oh no, well I was only second generation or third generation um, I can remember playing in Cornwall with somebody who, um, funnily enough, um, the, the the girl, very good singer and, and very, very dynamic and everything um, but she used to say that she was a member of one of the well-known bands, and I can't remember which one it was, and the first time I came across to uh, Benidorm in twen- uh, to the year 2000, I think it was, um, I went to Churchill's bar and Vinny told me that he ju- that, that I'd just missed seeing this great tribute and um, this girl that used to be in whatever the band was. I can't remember what the name of the band was. But, oh yeah, I can, the middle of the road, Chirpy Chirpy cheap, cheap. Oh, I... Go on, carry on. I'll tell you something about this. Go on. I think her name was something like Angie or as a snappy name like that. Uh, Angie and Kev, they, they became a duo. And uh, we got to know them very well in Cornwall without any knowledge that in the future we'd meet again in in uh, Benidorm.
1: Okay, over to you. Saw them. In, they were in... Um, well was was I was on holiday in Spain. It might have been a timeshare place and they were the they were there was a duo. Yeah, that's it. There was a the girl and the lad and she said she was in chirpy chirpy cheap cheap. Yeah. I can't remember her in that, by the way. No. I don't think she, she, don't she think was she was she second was. generation, I did find out. Yeah, but isn't that amazing? She was Scottish, I think. That's right, and, she was and, Scottish. You're absolutely yeah, I right. I remember her. I remember talking to her. and they were very good, actually. Yeah. But, uh, well, hey, what a small world, eh? Yeah, I remember them, yeah, well. So there you go. I
0: mean, you just can't. I'm,
1: I'm the subject of tribute. Don't get me wrong. Good luck to them. You know, they're very, very popular. It's only my opinion, this. I wouldn't go and see a tribute band. It's only my opinion. And I'm nobody, right? So that's all. Anyone that makes money... Good luck to them. I salute them. That's what it's all about. So don't get me wrong. Don't think I'm being big-headed. You know, do you but think... I just, I just, I just can't see the point of tribute bands. You know, go out and do your own thing. You know, do you think? You... Do you think maybe it's because
0: modern songwriting has lost its way?
1: Well, yes, that's the next subject, isn't it? I was listening. I go to the gym, you see, and in the gym, they have music. For, for the girls to train to and the lads. And it's do, 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 which is fine because they're training to that. And if you go into a, a dance hall, you know, or, or whatever they do now, I don't go clubbing it anymore, and you get to boo, 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 and they're all bopping around, fine. You know, that's what that music's for. But it's not for the radio. You know, You I, I'm driving back from wherever I go to, the Wales or whatever, and the music, the songs, they're, they're meaningless these days. And and some of them have no construction whatsoever. Because I like lyrics. I like listening to a song. Yeah. And they have no construction. You just get you got a girl singing, I'm in love with you. You know, trying to get the look how many notes I can hit, and the songs say nothing. Yeah, they say nothing. Any but I'm repetitive, it just gets on my nerves as well as out at the moment. You know, I'm in love, I'm in love, I'm in love. It's rubbish, absolutely rubbish. I know I'm getting old. Oh, don't say it, no, it's No, it's, it's a pet, it's, it. it's a pet
0: hate, it's pet hate with me as well. It's I, I, awful. I'll be driving along we'll with Anne and we'll put the radio on, and uh, eventually we go off to maybe a, a play some just a, to hear a Spanish voice talking rather than listening to disco music and of course uh, we're, f- we're by by boat we're two hours from abita uh, you can almost hear the music from Ibiza that's how loud these people have it yeah, yeah. you know it's a different <laughs> yes. scene isn't it
1: well, you see to me. If you want to, I I listen to smooth radio now because they have they have decent songs on there. I like songs if I'm going to listen. I like a as I said the other week, a song either tells a story or is descriptive of something. You know, I, I, I write songs and I've had success here and there, various levels of success with my song with my songs. But you see, I write descriptive songs on that style. I write all sorts of stuff, silly ones for the radio and, and thing. But but when, you know, at Wirral, nobody was writing songs of Wirral, so I decided to start writing songs, like folky type songs. Yeah. But they're descriptive. So when you listen to the song, you can see what I'm singing about. And... You know, other songs that tell stories like, like you played the other week, lipstick on your collar, the old mm-hmm. uh, Connie Francis one. If you listen to the lyrics of that, it's great. It tells you the story of the of the fella going out and getting off with another girl and coming back in again with lipstick on his collar. It's great, you know, thought out lyrics. Well, this brings you don't get these days. You don't get I don't mind the thuddy stuff because that's that's as long as it's played in clubs, because that's what it's for. But in the gym. They they have the this girl comes in the trainer and it's like boom, 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 boom. But the training to that, so that's what that's why that I'm I'm gonna astound
0: you again. Right opposite where I live is a gym. In the summer, (laughs) it's exactly what goes on. And We're going to finish our podcast today by looking at somebody. This is a This is a rarity. Somebody you like, Don? (laughs) Tell us who it is and what's the song.
1: Well, it's not so much the singer. Um, In fact, who sang it? I can't remember. Ralph MacTel. Ralph MacTel. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's it's the song. Tell. It's like a painting. It's called Streets of London. And if you listen to the words, it sends a great message out. It's not one of my favourite songs, but it's, it's, it's an example of what I'm saying. This song, when you listen to it, it's by a few few people have made it, and it was big in the folk clubs around here at the time. It's a great song. He sat down and thought about this and written this great song, which is what it is. That's what songs should be about. They should have a purpose. Do you think and, they, should, they should have a
0: little surprise as well?
1: A little surprise? Well,
0: what I'm going to do, because we're just coming right onto the hour now is I'm going to get you to announce this. Now, I'm not going to tell you what that surprise is, but when we start next week's chat, I want you to tell me whether you were as surprised as I was because this recording I've got, is um, it it really is very special. It's going to give you some information. You've told me how you like the song. You've told me why you like the song. I went once again to play the song and I found this because I do like the song by the way um, and I just felt wow I'll bet you Don didn't know this so you announce it I'll play it and that's what
1: we'll discuss next week Right ladies and gentlemen a, a song which is brilliant and well written and deserved every success it had it's Streets of London by Ralph McTell.
2: Sturred in her hair and her clothes in rags She's no time for talking, she just keeps right on walking Carrying her home into two carrier bags So how can you tell me you're lonely And say for you that the sun don't shine Sun don't shine. Oh, let me take you by the hand and lead you through the streets of London. I'll show you something to make you change your mind. How can you tell you're lonely? And just say for you that the sun don't shine. Let me take you by the hand and lead through the streets of London. I'll show you something to make you change your mind. Were you ever tempted to call the streets of London the streets
0: of Paris, Ralph?
3: Well, absolutely. it was going to be that, and I, I had it in my mind that that would have a, a lovely ring to it. And then I started to think, something reminded me, there was a song called The Poor People of Paris, or a tune called The Poor People of Paris, and I thought, well, if, you know, this situation is not just confined to this city, it's everywhere, and London, which I know even better, has, you know, just the same characters, um, different in a different circumstance, different location. So I just started reworking it but i have hand on heart i don't think it would have been written had i not been here and certainly the tune was here i remember i mentioned earlier about you know all the musicians around it was a guitar player that called gary Peterson. who said to me that's such a pretty tune man. you should write some words to it you know and that's so it started off about paris and metamorphosed into <laughs> london you know
0: when you wrote it you were part of an alternative culture but the song went on to achieve mass appeal.
3: How does that make you feel? A little bit weird, actually, yeah. I would have liked it to have been a bit more left field, you know, than that. (laughs) um, But, you know, if it is viewed as a pop song, let's hope it's a pop song that makes people have a think. Because there's a wonderful world of music and words out there that aren't just, you know, what they sound like when you first hear them. They're worth looking at again. Do you believe the song will outlive you? I think it will, yeah. I do. I mean, don't. I don't want it to sound vain, but I, I just, you know, people still covering it. You know, it's still picking up the odd cover version even now. And and I also have the added little pleasure of knowing that the song is actually used as a teaching aid, not just in schools now, but for young guitar players. You'd be amazed how many rock and roll, hard bitten rock and rollers come and say, so, You know, it's it the first tune I ever learned to play. <laughs> and I think, Oh, really? Oh, that's quite nice as well. So. Um, it seems it's one song fits seems to fit most purposes (laughs) somehow so uh, I'm pretty pleased about
2: that So how can you tell me that you're lonely And you say for you that the sun don't shine Let me take you by the hand the streets of london i'll show you something to make you change